Hello boys and girls and welcome to the Dying Alone podcast. I'm Greg Carter and joining me are Gav Dunn. Hey. Corey Rydell. Hello. And Paul Goodman, formerly of The Escapist. Hello everybody. Did you notice how I actually forgot your name during that intro, Gavin? <laughs> it took like that's a moment okay, to actually remember it. Well, will you call him so you know, that's, many he other always forget, He phrases. always forgets my name in bed as well. Yeah. <laughs> or call, well, yeah, calls out the wrong name. Yeah, well, he calls you such other colorful phrases too. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, your, your Twitter conversations are the things of legends. You know, yeah, he calls out like Snake or Raiden, or and I'm like, dude, come on, seriously. <laughs> Not even in bed. Not just the podcast, just all the time. Just <laughs> yeah, all the time. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, without Gabe here, there is going to be a um, a drought of Metal Gear talk, which will hurt. We we clearly miss him though. We've already brought it back to Metal Gear. We have to hear it. Well, Gray spent like an hour today on on Steam trying to convince me to play it. So, <laughs> well, which one exactly? Which which Metal Gear? That's that's three. the all, one. all all of them. Oh god! No, 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 no! I'm not that silly. I, I three is the one I like evangelize. It's the one you can get new players into. Yeah, I would say three is pretty mm. good. You know, and the like, first one, Metal Gear Solid, the old PS1 era one's pretty solid. Um, two, I just, I don't know, felt like all over the place for me. And two then, is is the best game. And then two is is the most artistically sound, but it's mad as fuck. So and you then, can't. And, yeah, and then four, I just watched. Like I didn't even like bother <laughs> trying to play it. I just like downloaded all the cutscenes, and it was like, wow, fourteen hours later, you know. Jesus. Okay, so today's see, topic is. Oh, sorry, Gab. Did you want to say something? You want to no, add something about Metal saying, Gear? See, something what, wrong? Something. That's what gets me about Metal Gear. It's like it's it's mostly cutscenes, which is fine if you're into it, but I just don't enjoy the the cutscenes. So yeah. you know, well, I don't think that's gonna do it for me. Well, that's yeah, the problem is that it's place for it. yeah. Over time, it's become more cutscenes because like Metal Gear mm. Solid One, like I definitely feel there was a more better ratio, but then over time, it was like. Just make a movie already, okay? Just don't... Clearly want to make a... movies. Don't make games. Make movies. Metal Gear Solid 4 was ridiculous. The amount of actual content to cutscenes was just absurd. Plus, there's just there's, there's that very particular style that the story is presented in that just doesn't... It fails to entice me. I just... I, it's not like I don't want to enjoy it. You know, it's not the case of, oh, fuck this, I hate it. It's just, no, it just doesn't do it for me. Like... No. And I've I tried. Realized... I played. I played three different games. I played like two. I played Revengeance, and I played the new one. And just I've in just all three of them, the story was fucking yeah. here, and we still can't stop talking about. <laughs> Let us move on, everybody. Well, he's he's going to be pissed. <laughs> he's he going to be pissed. It. He missed it. <laughs> so today's topic, or uh, today's vague topic, is uh, video game journalism—a hotly debated subject these days. Very much so. Um. Brought to mind by the the very surprising shuddering of uh, Joystick. Oh yeah, that was which I think yeah. was, that was easily like the, one of the better outlets out there. It, it's yeah. like ten years running, I think, is how long Joystick's been active, and it's like the end of it's like it's totally the end of an era and an institution, you know, because like just so many great people have worked for Joystick or have come from Joystick in the past, so it's it's been like you know really surreal to have like one of those institutions of our the whole game journalism thing just like just disappear so suddenly uh, small disclaimer i have done a few reviews for joystick so i am a little bit biased and <laughs> um, i am biased because i am good friends with susan so yeah same here <laughs> yeah and yeah and, and some of those guys were on my panels um back when i was with the escapist at pax east so you know a little bit of disclosure there but yeah it's, it's just great yeah. people all over I just I think it was a it was a class act joystick. It um like it wasn't straight news, but it was rare. It was funny rather than biased. 
<coughs> and um, it kind of handled a lot of social issues, which I know is a hot topic in, in gaming right now, whether we should cover it or not. Mm-hmm. But it covered them in a very non-preachy way. Yeah, mm. I mean, like, mm. I always felt like they tried, whatever, like, because at this point, you know, the gaming hobby has been around for a long time. Obviously, a lot more people are gamers now, so a lot more things are going to be discussed about it. And I always liked the way Joystick approached it um, and trying to be like, you know, hey, here's here's something we should talk about and have more conversations about, you know, versus just like an A or B, this, us or them kind of deal. You know, I think if everyone approached it with that approach, there wouldn't be so much controversy at all. At all. If everyone approached it, well, let's, let's have these discussions and let's have them without... Yeah. All, well, I mean, you know, a huge part of the the arguments online is just how people have the discussions. Like, there's like it, that's all it boils down to. Because I think a lot of people are like minded on these issues, but it's just like some people are overbearing oh, yeah. and some people like make others feel bad with how they argue. And I think yeah. I'm gonna disagree with you there, Curry. I've seen some very very reasonable articles on usually about sexism or racism in in games or the gaming sphere, and they can be the most lukewarm well put arguments and you're still going to get like um not massive crowds but this core of like grotesque douchebags just oh yeah cocks in the uh, comments yeah that's that's the i guess that's like the one that's certainly a downside i think is that there is always going to be this hardcore small demographic that's simply going to try to outshout anyone who says anything they disagree with and like for me it's like at that point it's like why bother because you're just you're just shutting down the conversation like no yeah. one's learning anything if you know those people are you know just coming in and yelling and not being conducive to the conversation you know and it's frustrating right. cause that's that's happened before like I've, I've seen that in some of my you know comments from my reviews and everything it's just like you know hey why did you say this about you know this game and then people would just jump on and start attacking that person and then it would just kind of descend into a, like a you know like a clusterfuck of like guys like you're, you're missing the entire point what is everyone talking about and i think it, it's only fair to point out that like these really extreme people exist on every corner of the political spectrum oh god yeah yeah that's definitely they true you know? uh, but i do agree with curry's core point there that there are a lot of self-described progressive sites that frame these arguments in the least um, useful way possible. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I saw an article today. Um, let me go find the name of it. And it was something along the lines of we have to crush the last white nerd space or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> that I, was I, yeah pretty... I saw that earlier. You know, I mean, I don't see, I don't understand what that title is going to achieve or, or how that's going to, to push anyone to uh, anything positive. Yeah, honestly, and I I wonder if that is just like the the clickbaity nature of like how you have to do like how you have to do writing nowadays like because hyperbole in just like normal speech has like risen to such high levels that like you really like you need to grab people and I don't know. Okay, so it was actually called "We Must Bulldoze What's Left of the Nerdy White Men's Internet." And this is right below a picture of a, a baby, a screaming baby in a Gamergate um, like set of pajamas. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I read that earlier today. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Gamergate, but there are ways to open conversations and there's ways, there's ways to just set shit on fire. Yeah. And that kind of falls into the ladder. And I'm, yeah. I, I think that there are a lot of people, again, on both sides of that debate that benefit from it continuing and continue to poke and prod the fire because it benefits them. No, oh, I, I definitely, yeah. yeah, I definitely agree on that point. That there's, mm. 
Like, like I don't think we should. Me- can we agree it right from the start here? We're not going to mention any names or oh, like yeah, we're, particular I, I'm people. Or... I'm not comfortable yeah, yeah. naming names yeah. just in the sense because of like you don't want to have to deal with that, especially since yeah. over Twitter and like Twitter. Twitter in a lot of ways is the worst way to have any kind of conversation because it's 140 yeah. characters. It's so hard. And I remember Gavin, you were talking about this like last night, like how hard it is to get a coherent thought out in several 140 40 character bits, and then just not. Mm. Try not to have it, you know, come and, out. And it, and if you don't express it the way you meant to yeah. and fuck it up, yeah. the social media will remember that forever. And oh, yeah. you'll always be the person with this belief that you don't actually have, but just phrased it in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I, whenever I'm trying to tweet like a, a big thought that's going to take multiple tweets, I'll like write it all out in like a, like in a word or something. And I'll like yeah. count the, the fucking letters just to be like, all right. <laughs> I've now I've now set it up. I've thought everything through. You know, like this is this is the perfect set of three tweets. That takes like 10 to 15 minutes, and I'm like post them all online. Got it. I, I just think do one them thing that thinking and one thing that me. social media um, also doesn't take into account due to the permanence of its statements is that you can change your mind about things. You can feel one way about something, but then maybe do more research and feel later yeah. a different way. Which is why I was saying last night that. It's usually not prudent to speak about things until you've really formed an opinion, you know, which I've been trying my best to do this year. And and that's certainly an issue, too, is that sometimes when you do that and you make a mistake, it can be very hard to own up to that mistake and say you were wrong. And I definitely think think we've seen that a lot, Um, just in general Um, over the past couple of years. Yeah, people, people get stuck in that mindset, but I also think the way Twitter works doesn't help. Mm. Oh, goodness, like no. you find someone who um, I'm going to use an example here um, Gabe from Penny Arcade who said something kind of insensitive when he, he said um, he made a point about uh, women always having vaginas on a, on a Kitago article and it yeah. was like a harmless comment Yeah. Um, and, it, and it came from ignorance rather than malice and the way Twitter responded just pushed him pushed him into a corner yeah. And rather than just considering what he'd said or why people were annoyed, he did the very human thing, which is just he lashed out mm-hmm. to what he perceived as bullying. And to what is, I think, to a certain... I'm not, like, um, defending what he said, but I do think it is bullying to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's, um, it's, it's, it's Sometimes I think it's also an issue with, like, uh, not having a filter to filter out the legitimate concerns from the, the crap. Because no matter what you say on the internet... If it's in a public sphere, someone somewhere is going to be a jerk about it. You know, oh, that's regardless of the political spectrum or whatever, you know, your personal beliefs are, whatever. There's always someone who's going to be a jerk for the sake of, of being a jerk. And it's like it's an issue of like being able to fill out who's just being a jerk for, for being a jerk and who's actually like trying to have a conversation with you yeah. and explain mm-hmm. better. Like, you know, this is this is why what you said is very concerning or why it's wrong or why, you know, it may offend other people and that's why people are upset versus you're just an mm. asshole fuck you etc etc it's like it's just a matter of like and that's, that's a hard thing to have on the internet is that filter because like even in real life when you know you see criticism for something it can be hard to distinguish what is like useful criticism versus someone just bringing you down for the sake of bringing you down you Absolutely. know it was, it was like that all through college for me is you know i had a professor who was he was very harsh in his critique like he would tell students to go kill themselves i mean he eventually lightened up but it was like wow, filtering. Yeah, it was, it was hard. That. He was a he was a harsh guy. But what that, a motivator! That, I know, but like it would it, it would be like this thing where it's like you got you like you had to filter out like okay he's tr- he's he's trying to 
you know, give you actual criticism and advice. He's just doing it in a really bad way. And then eventually he kind of lightened up and was like, this is why your project is bad or doesn't work. And he got rid of that whole, you know, go drink bleach, you know, kind of <laughs> thing he would throw out. And I, I think that's like a, a big issue is that on the Internet, it it's, can be really hard, especially over Twitter, because, again, it's 140 characters. It can be really hard to filter out who are the people who are telling you to go drink bleach and who are the people who are trying to give you actual helpful uh, critique. You well, know, yeah, it's much, it's, it's much easier in a tweet to just go, you're a cunt. <laughs> Do you know? This guy, this guy sounds I like the perfect person to play Dodo with. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I can't imagine myself telling a faceless white later to go yeah. to Bleach. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was pretty infamous. Like, I never got it that bad, but you know, there definitely were a couple times where it's like, I'm in the room. You can tell me why you think I suck to my face. It's okay, you know. But <laughs> I would like to add that the things I say in Dota Two are not indicative of my general attitudes <laughs> uh, i'm very much against telling people to kill themselves unless i'm playing dota 2 <laughs> it's, it's weird like that i am the same and it's just like you're an know, awful I'm... person when you're playing dota 2 <laughs> you're like, genuinely terrible I, I i want to play mobas to better understand them but i'm afraid of what it'll do to me <laughs> they they are they're bad for you. I think that's just how, how it is. They're bad for you physically and mentally. Yeah. I think Corey and I have been working together for about five years. Um, and we've had very, very few arguments. And most of the arguments we've had have been over Dota. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just because he's bad. <laughs> numerically, dude. I'm afraid I'm not. Yeah. Numerically, you are also bad, though. Life's just harder in my bracket. <laughs> get on his level so oh okay another thing about twitter that i i think twitter isn't designed for nuanced conversation obviously no, it's, it's like it is definitely not. every kind of social media isn't it's always meant to simplify and um remove all the nuance from conversation but one of the things with twitter is you're not just you're not just talking to one person you're talking to one person plus followers mm-hmm. yeah plus so, anyone who retweets and their exactly. followers yeah yeah so you get these people who, um, regardless of their personality or their beliefs, are like vectors for like very toxic groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, to use an example of someone I quite like, Movie Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Movie Bob. Sure, dude. We'll just start mentioning names. No, no. I, I, I'm not, it's not a negative thing here, but I, I really like Movie Bob. Um, I respect him a lot. I like having conversations with him. But sometimes he retweets something I say, and I think, I'm fucking in for it now. Because he has like so many people hate following him, mm-hmm. it's like he's co- it's like followed by a swarm of bees. Yeah, like that's that's like the real tough thing too is sometimes you're like because again it's 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 tough to I'm I'm trying to think what what how to put this in the words um but like it's you know it it is like very public so what you're saying is in the public sphere to an extent but like sometimes you don't it's it can be upsetting to see something you say affect other people in a negative way you didn't intend. And it's mm. like, you know, there's like <clears throat> nothing you can do about that, you know, which is... Can be well, I, I, I mean, I had the perfect example when so, when someone re- when someone made a joke addressed at me a few weeks ago and suddenly I'm being fucking attacked by a certain other people's, so, certain other person's followers for hours on end over something I didn't even say. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> Because that's... I was tagged in the tweet, <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. I actually got attacked for that, for being friends with you, and you were tagged in it. That's how far it goes. Yeah. This whole attacking people over being friends with people is so stupid. I mean, how many of us would have any friends left if we called out all the time and 
alienated any friend we didn't agree with about things, you know? Yeah, and I definitely think one thing that contributes to it is that it's way too easy, and this is, this has been something that's been present for the internet for years, like this is nothing new, but it's way mm-hmm. too easy to not think of the person on the other end of the keyboard as a person. Yeah. Like, it's way too easy to think of them in, like, a negative sense or whatever, and mm-hmm. it's, it's been that way for, you know, like, that whole dehumanization thing, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm I, sure I, you guys... I'm sure you guys have this too, but like I have friends on Twitter who literally loathe each other. I mean, like, and I've seen them have little bitching matches at each other, and I'm just like, what do you do in that situation? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, I think people when they're when they see like one tweet, especially from someone, and they they instead of like they do dehumanize them and they turn them into that point, and so mm. they see that person as like the embodiment. Of like this mm. idea that they disagree with, mm. and it, it's it's pretty harmful. Like it doesn't do anything for the argument when you when you're like arguing the person, not the the idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do get that. We actually we as as comic creators get that a lot. Where um, like I'm I'm I, I consider myself a feminist and I post a lot of feminist stuff, and then people go, "Well, you use the word cunt a lot." And you try to explain that you have, like, you can have a nuanced worldview. You can have, you can agree with some aspects of a, of a culture and disagree with others. Mm. And people on Twitter just hate that shit. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like, you, you, have to, you have to be in one into, gang or the other gang. Yeah, one yeah. of the boxes. Yeah. You, um, you kind of you stick out in the cold. It's, sometimes but, it but is. But that's weird way, cult-like yeah. thinking. Well, it was basically just again. It comes. It comes down to the dehumanization, like the tribalization thing. Is that it's, it's sometimes it's way too easy. Excuse me. It's way too easy to like segregate and divide people up into categories, and then like mm-hmm. not be willing to understand that they may actually have personalities across several categories. You know, like not mm-hmm. there's so few people out there that you can probably say, oh, they're one specific type of person. They fall under this particular mm-hmm. label. But like too many people, like I, I view myself as a feminist also, you know, but I'm also like mm-hmm. a bunch of other d- different labels, I would say, as you know, awkward human being, nerd, um, you know, mm-hmm. used to be kind of a Republican in my younger years in college, but then I grew out of that to change more into a liberal and, you know, all that jazz. And it's like, it's, it's way too easy to uh, segment people into those groups. And then I think it kind of also ties into like that way it makes it easier to deal with like it make it, people do that to make it easier to deal with them a certain way. Like, oh, you know, mm. Gray because claims he's a, a feminist, but he says you know cunt a lot. Therefore, I'm going to use that against him to deal with him in a certain way that makes me feel better or makes me, you know, it's like that's just that's not how it works. It's like you need to have a conversation mm. with him to understand why you know I he think, says those things. You know, like <laughs> I think well, there's a very point, a, sorry, a ahead, big. Uh, I think there's a very big tendency to. Um, for a lot of the people who do get into these arguments to be very America centric mm-hmm. and it's hard for them. Well, I don't think it's hard for them. They just willingly don't really want to see things from a perspective from outside of America and from a different culture that isn't like theirs and doesn't have the same history theirs has. Oh, yeah. Does that like, make any sense? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the, the term uh, uh, is, is anthros, uh, anthrocentrism and it's the mm. belief that the culture or area that you're from is clearly the superior to everyone else's or and is, well, is it, it, I, yeah. I think they just like, believe that everywhere else has the same history yeah. with certain yeah. things that they do well, yeah, we not, don't we really don't like, yeah <laughs> you know so well, that's been a huge issue with feminism all the way since like uh the 70s and the 80s people were saying like feminism and especially like academic feminism writings were very centered on white like upper class females 
So on the subject of Twitter and journalism, one of the hardest uh, parts of game reviewing I've found now is um, writing. I used to I used to really enjoy writing like takedowns of games, very brutal, unpleasant, um, snarky takedowns. And going on Twitter and finding out that a lot of these developers are like human beings with aspirations and uh, feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah can be very difficult to deal with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... Yeah. Like, it's well, one of those dude, things I... where it's like you need to critique the product and not the people necessarily <laughs> behind it. And yeah. Corey's sending me a message which is don't mention Frozen Cortex guy. <laughs> um, the other day, I was complaining about how Frozen Cortex, the sequel to Frozen Synapse, just didn't appeal to me at all. Like, the concept just wasn't. Mm-hmm. And the guy who makes it kind of messaged me and was just asking me kind of, like, Why? And I'm like, dude, it was like it's a throwaway tweet. I just want to gripe. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think. Don't don't be like, a human at me. Don't don't, 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 don't like, 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 I legitimately want feelings. to know. So I so the next game will appeal more to you, you know, so I can get you as part of the larger demographic. And you're like, I don't know what to say to this. <laughs> and um, that's happened a few times where I've said something, and then a developer who keeps an eye on social media has like immediately responded, mm-hmm. and none of them have ever been um, angry. <clears throat> Um, well, that's been very not like some of the people that Jim interacts with. Yeah, like Jim. Famously. Jim gets all the good ones. <laughs> yeah, he oh. gets all the good ones. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, we, we've all we've all heard horror stories. Like the, the Peter Molyneux thing recently is you know a good example of of that. I think to an extent because it's like. What do we think of that? Uh, well, personally, I think what it is is that he just um, Peter has like. I think he just has an issue with just exaggerating and overselling because he. I, I, I have no doubt that he believes what he's doing is cool and he's making awesome games. But the problem is that I think what he's saying doesn't quite always connect to reality. And that, like, I agree with like uh, Jim. Jim Sterling did a Jim Inquisition about it recently about the the Peter Molyneux cycle about how like you know oh Fable One's going to be A B and C and then it comes out and it's only A and then Peter gets gets on gets on the you know the comes out and says oh well Fable One was was crap fable 2 will be the one that has a b and c you know and i think that's the issue there is that like he's i think he has an i i think he's just he's just oversells himself constantly and when it comes back to bite him in in the ass like instead of just like like stopping be like okay i i really do need to stop doing this or i need to examine you know what i'm i'm doing here he just doubles down and like it's mm-hmm. it, it almost like that 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 infamous rock paper shotgun article honestly felt like he just went full on defensive mode, you know. Well, I I, I would too if the yeah. opening question was. Yeah, well, the opening question was really the opening question was really bad. Like, I would not have opened that. I mean, interview up with. Arch I've been Jones. I've been looking for for games journalism like that for years, like just really um, vicious and you know taking no prisoners and really holding yeah. developers to account. I just think Peter Molyneux was kind of like not the target I would have chosen. Mm-hmm. Like he's, I mean, he's a, he's a bullshitter, yes, but I've yeah. always found him kind of charming. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's a little it's... too serious for it for that sort of. Question. I felt I felt genuinely bad for him. I didn't read the rock paper shotgun, but I read Laura's interview. Um, you know Laura who does yeah. uh, the podcastation with us. She did a fantastic interview with him, and at one point, I really genuinely felt for him. He was talking about how like his family were getting death threats and yeah. things, and I'm just that's like, just that's appalling. Just, that's just like, horrifying. Yes to that and like i like even reading the paper, paper, rock paper shotgun thing I, I also felt bad for him as well because it was like again you like, know what you know what was kind of annoying though nobody in the press stood up for him about that mm-hmm. about his death threats and stuff they just continued to pile on him yeah nobody that is, kind of stood up and said hey hang on this guy's getting death threats maybe we shouldn't exacerbate this yeah 
Noel. Yeah. No one yeah. wants to admit their part in it, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. it's also again like tough to, given the, given the current climate of how again like social media and the internet has been over the past I want to say couple of years. Like sometimes it can be really mm-hmm. hard to take a stand on an issue because of how of how it may like backfire or mm-hmm. how it may affect you. Like there's a lot of issues over the years that like. I think that games media or you know game developers or whatever should have st- stood up for and taken a stand on and they didn't and it's because yeah. you know there it's because of the um I'm trying to think I think it's like just an issue of like you know if if everyone if if someone's on fire do you necessarily want to try to put them out if it's going to result in you getting set on fire like that's or the e- or even or, yeah. and then sometimes even if they are completely and utterly in the wrong is it worth being yet another person on their dog pile because yeah, there was right. even like there's I even saw something this week. Obviously, I'm not going to mention names again, but there's a person who gets in a lot of controversy, posted up something to get some other people in trouble that turned out to be completely bullshit. Yeah. And basically proved that this person was completely full of shit. Yeah. And, you know, it was so tempting to kind of say something. I was like, oh, well, look, what a surprise. This person's at it again. And, you know, it was just like, no, it's not worth being another f- shouting voice on that dog pile. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think the targets for these dog piles are always so frustratingly easy. Like, I mean, that, that review, like I said, that review, sorry, that interview with uh, Molyneux was an exciting read. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, like I said, the dude's a bullshitter, but like in the general scheme of things, he's running a small indie company. He got a little bit of money off, a little bit of money off Kickstarter. And I think Ubisoft has done far worse in yeah. the past kind of oh, four or well, five for, years. Oh, for sure. Like there's, there's in terms of like raw bullshit. How about showing off trailers that are just nothing fucking like the actual product you're selling? Oh yeah, the, well, the, the, the I think whole... that's the problem with their production cycle and how how they feel the need to always like promote things through journalism. Like they always need to like show things off. And like with Molyneux, like I'm sure he's like this game will have A, B, C. because it's like he has A, B, and C on like a whiteboard in his office yeah. of like oh, everyone's yeah. trying to make. Yeah, that, that certainly no one's going up in. to like Ubisoft CEO and and like holding him over the fucking coals. Mm-hmm. They go after they go after Molyneux, who, because of the the size of the company he's working for, has far less, um, sorry, far less of a capability to defend himself. I think it's also the personality involved too, because like everyone knows who Peter Molyneux is, not everyone knows who the CEO of Ubisoft is. Yeah, and have to be fair, have yeah. you seen like any video on YouTube that has had Assassin's Creed in it in the last six months? The comments are really, really hateful. Like, you know, it's a sea of like anger. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's always directed are... at the wrong people. It's yeah. directed at the mm. community managers. Yeah. yeah, I know, and I know that the, the <laughs> a lot of the nuts. Ubisoft community managers, and they're such good people. Those guys, they're yeah. such nice and... people. And as someone like who went to school for, for disclaimer, games. Gav has done some promotional work for Ubisoft. <laughs> yes, I have, and I'm also uh, would consider a couple of those Ubisoft community guys my friends as well. So, not going to uh, full disclosure not, for the, the, yeah. the gamer gate is listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but like this isn't this isn't a review, so <laughs> it's not that bad once the patch is installed. <laughs> Hey man, I've been I've been playing like twenty hours of that game this yeah, week. I've been I loved to sell it. Me on this shit. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Yeah, I may, now that this it, may now be that the first works, time I go back to buy. It's like brilliant. Um, but yeah, like I, so, I went to school for oh. game dev, and like there's always going to be a lot of people involved in, in game making. So it is really it is really frustrating to see like how the anger gets directed 
when a game doesn't quite deliver. You know, because sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's I'm not. sorry, Bev. You do realize forget is spelled with an O, not an E, right? Hmm? What? Uh, sorry, Bev just oh, Bev okay. just handed me a, a note saying don't forget F E R G E T. <laughs> Bev has a degree in English. Things um, happen, dude. Hey, we all make mistakes, man. We all make mistakes. Oh, but on that subject, I was um, I was gonna mention. Uh, oh man, so like people <laughs> I know who work for. Uh, Nintendo, like the Fire Film guys, they, um, oh man, I'm actually forgetting his name. Who's, who's the Fire <laughs> Film guy? It's Kyle, it's Chris, Chris, and Dan. Chris. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Chris, yeah, he works for Nintendo, and he always, like, starts off his conversations, like, I work at Nintendo, but I'm on a team. Like, yeah. don't, don't think of me as, like, Nintendo. Think of, like, the team as Nintendo. Yeah. Like, I think that's something... Some devs don't do, and, like, I, I understand, like, the, like, journalism wants to like see the rock star, like see the the mm -hmm. person at the top, like the Cliff Blazinski's and the Molyneux yeah. and all that. But yeah, it's well, that's, like, that's that's it's also an issue. Like that's what people want to read sometimes is the rock stars. Like I'm, you know, I've done interviews before with various like like the last the last interview I did um with or major interview I did was on Assassin's Creed Unity. Um, and like, I met like two or three designers, I got their names and all that, but like, you know, the interview like did okay, but like it, if, if, unless I interviewed that guy who's always, we're always seeing, like, I can't remember his name, but he's always like, he was, he was the one I think who dropped the infamous women are hard to animate statement. Like he's more of a face of the Assassin's Creed series than any of the developers I talked to. So people kind of want to hear what that guy has to say. And it's kind of a, it's kind of sad that they don't want to hear what the guy who did the multiplayer for co-op design will has to say, you know. So that's another issue too is that sometimes it's like, you know, the, the readers want to put more of a face to the name. They don't want to hear about multiple people who made this particular game. Sometimes they well, want to hear just about the one person who's involved. I think as a critic, I do tend to try and do that too. Mm -hmm. The idea of products made by a single artist are so much more appealing than um the idea of a product made by a massive team of like f with focus tested ideas yeah yeah well it feels so much more quite, like art it's quite it? telling that the the very best games the very um the the top products that uh, that our art form has to offer are made usually by auteur directors Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Your Ken Levines, your Kojimas, um, your Cliff Lazinskis. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's a scale issue that they have they have an idea in mind and they keep things at scale. Yeah. You know, like that's that's the, that's the biggest thing with with basically any kind of project whatsoever is that it's way too easy sometimes to uh, feature creep and start adding things on and adding things on and then like at the end of it you just have too much to do and no time to do it. Well, we talked we just talked about that on the last cast about what a huge problem that is in yeah. in modern well, games. Go for yeah. it. It's totally a huge. It's totally a huge problem, and it's present in like not just video games, but it's present in a lot of things. This lets us move on to another recent topic, actually. Um, length, game length in particular. So uh, the order, eighteen sixty six, eighteen eighty six, eighteen sixty six, eighteen eighty six. The eighties recently, <laughs> and uh, is about as long as the average orgasm. <laughs> so <laughs> average. <what? laughs> <laughs> it's it is a very short game. Yeah, it's I and I've always struggled with grading short games because because I like short games. I like the the worst thing a game can be. I think, in my opinion, is too long. That is that is true. Uh, for me, it's always been the type of game and what experience is offering. Like like the order eighteen eighty six. Like I feel like from what I've seen of it, it seems like 
you know, okay, it's going to be a linear third-person cover-based shooter, it should be about 8 to 10 hours, because for me, that's what feels like the average. Like, from my years of playing all these various, you know, third-person cover shooters, that, like, feels like the average. It should be, like, a weekend-long game. My argument there is, as a a critic, uh, there's a difference, I think, between being a reviewer and being a critic. Mm -hmm. And if you're only talking about how much bang you're getting for your book how like you know how many hours you get for each dollar invested mm-hmm. compared to is is this game long enough can it does it do everything it sets out to do does it overstay its welcome and i think we've we've suddenly got quite a lot of games that are overstaying their welcome quite substantially you know what game you know what game i think really really nailed it was uh, wolfenstein I think that really, it really nailed that balance between the time you spend playing it and the quality of your time spent playing it. I've heard arguments that the uh, the the kind of filler missions where you go into the hideout are a little bit of like are just filler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I while I I would tend to disagree because I just I love the game. I think I think it was my Mm. favorite of 2014. Oh yeah, it was really mostly because everything else was shit. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was the perfect length. Though it did leave things unresolved. That is true. I mean, I liked how it wasn't uh, an ending that screamed sequel bait like The Darkness mm. 2. Like, that was the, the last um, first-person shooter I played that I felt had the worst se- ending ever because of just how sequel or DLC bait-heavy it was. Well, Half-Life it was a 2. short game, Half-Life too. 2, man. Yeah, well... <laughs> to be honest, people raged about that Half-Life 2 engine. As an ending. Ending. Yeah. I mean, and rightly so, it really was sequel baby, like yeah, especially well, well, we'll the episode, the episode two ending. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, I mean, Val, that's a whole, we could have a whole. Conversation. They didn't think oh, that one through. Yeah, we could considering have a whole how long it's Val. taken them to follow it up, like there's going to be I, when Half Life Three comes out, there's going to be like a lot of people who want never, you know, who died I, yeah. and never found they out. How it ended. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> on my thoughts on Valve at this point because I used to be the biggest Valve fanboy, but not so much anymore. Um, They've actually made quite a few unvalve-like moves in the past few years. Mm-hmm. I think they've fucked over Steam with by just opening the floodgates on yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they recently introduced like a pay-to-win mechanic in uh, Dota Two, mm-hmm. and it's it's also it's, their they're they're, also they're their... ruining like a lot of the visual like um, the theming that they did originally with Dota Two with like uh, the marketplace and stuff. Absolutely. I mean, it's even worse in Team Fortress too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you I... go through the tutorial there, they'll the uh, they explain at length how every character was designed, so their silhouette is immediately uh, recognizable from like any distance. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, actually, we can make a bajillion dollars by selling hats. Yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> fuck that, fuck artistic integrity, hats. Yeah. <laughs> hats everywhere. Um, and so actually, speaking of uh, of big companies kind of getting a free pass from the press, mm-hmm. uh, Nintendo's recent announcement of uh, its partner program for YouTube. Yeah, I am not. <laughs> I do not think that's the greatest of ideas, especially if it's like I'm using trailer footage that they provided to press outlets for public <laughs> use, and I'm like running a small, you know youtube channel as my own press outlet because i'm trying to get big and it's like well you're not going to go to like those websites like you're not going to go to ign and GameSpot and demand a cut of their share for hosting your trailer but you're going to come to my youtube channel and ask me to fork over a share for doing the exact same thing that they're doing 
if not even you know even if it's even if like it's like I'm actually doing something with the trailer like it's really weird that they they decided to go that route maybe that's how they're how they're like that's how they stop criticism they just charge people <laughs> to criticize now it's like well, oh you can criticize I mean, this on YouTube but we're taking that a people cut are still trying to stream this stuff I was watching a video the other day about a guy who jury rigged like a um, 3ds capture system. Yeah, like they have a, really a weird... phone and a microphone attached to like fucking stands and shit. Yeah, they have like, really weird, really weird rules about because um, they have there's no capture. Yeah, there, there's that's why that's trees. why you know when I worked with Escapist, like I reviewed some 3DS games, but we never did any video content for them because mm-hmm. like you needed to have a very specific setup. Like they had to send someone over to hook up a 3DS in your office, like in a very mm. specific way for you to capture any <coughs> video of it. And it was like I think it should. There's too much effort to do that to get video content for your. Of, of that and particular they're game. just so far behind the times in that way yeah that's what i was going to say it shows a very um a very big lack of understanding on their part of how the communication between gamers is selling games these days yeah or, or how they consume content related to games as well like surely yeah. someone must have been paying attention to twitch plays pokemon yeah mm. like surely someone nintendo saw this and mm. went why aren't we doing more of this why aren't we getting mm. into this free advertising yeah like why I, are, I, why are I, we, like, instead they kind of thought oh why aren't we just stealing half of this person's money yeah i've yeah. maintained for like the last um four or five years that the two main reasons call of duty has remained as popular as it has is 60 frames per second on console and youtube oh yeah it's youtube oh, it's God, youtube yes. that it's has YouTube kept fodder. that community relevant like and that kept that game relevant to its community sorry because I mean, when when YouTube kind of game streaming exploded, it was it was Modern Warfare Two that made that happen. Yeah, that that's when it really became a huge thing that like millions of people every day were tuning in to watch these dudes playing Modern Warfare Two, and that's what has, in my opinion, kept that game at the top is the YouTube community built around it. Like, there's more people watch Call of Duty's every uh, videos every day than actually play Call of Duty. Yeah, so I, do I think wonder, people watch it while playing Call of Duty. No. I'd imagine. I do wonder if the press, if the traditional games press feels they have a um, a mandate to defend YouTubers. Because <laughs> like, well, if you think about it, every every journalist worth his salt is, is pro-consumer by default. Yeah. It's, it doesn't necessarily always mean agreeing with the consumer on everything. Sometimes um, a good journalist gives, uh, tells harsh truths. Um, but are YouTubers, are they consumers? Are they readers or are they the competition? Oh, they're the competition. I think absolutely the competition. And I think you're, you, you do see a lot of, of, um, again, no names I will mention, but you do see a lot of, uh, of little back and forths on Twitter between YouTubers and between journalists that you, you can almost feel that from both sides, it's motivated by that competition and oh, that yeah, jealousy and, and so, that kind like of thing. So a lot of YouTubers have jumped on the Gamergate, all traditional media is uh, corrupt bandwagon. Well, that, yeah, um, it's not the funny because thing it, because... Because it pays, it, it feeds into their, like, their agenda perfectly. Likewise, as well, as well the as that, traditional you... press can be very dismissive of YouTube gamers. Did you see mm-hmm. the, um, the reaction when PewDiePie's response to Evolve, I think, was on the... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, a, yeah. A billboard, it was, it was like, and everyone know. was sneering and <laughs> and whining about that. And it's like, well, PewDiePie pulls in more views, has more readers, has more viewers 
than most of the large websites I can name. Mm. And it's he also had a, the he matter... had a go at uh, he had a go at one of them last week actually for misquoting him. Yeah, and it's it's also the matter of like what he's doing is is working like he, his business model works for him and what he wants to do with video games. Mm. And like that's exactly. the thing is is like understanding that we all have like there's there's also I think there's a um a lot of figuring out what's the best business model or best way oh. to like talk about games and all these different media because like when YouTube first started I never would have thought that it would be anything related to video games like the way it is now you know like mm. back in college I was like oh people put funny videos on or whatever but like I never thought that mm. someone would actually try to make a living out of talking about video games full time on YouTube like mm. the way PewDiePie does you know. You know what strikes me as very strange is that even the Escapist, which arguably saw this coming more so than any traditional outlet, they saw Yahtzee and they thought, hmm, we want to get in on this. And they had this perfect example of how a um, personality-driven one-man show can do incredibly well. And uh, no one emulated it. They just, uh, websites kept on, traditional games media kept on doing what it's always done, which is reviews which kind of downplay the individual reviewer and instead focus on the the website as a whole while youtube grew in in spurts because people were tuning in not for what game was being reviewed mm. um but for who was reviewing it i think so it's when, fascinating oh sorry you you finished sorry. first so when total biscuit can cover he can cover a big game and have tons of hits and he can cover some sh- piece of shit no one cares about and still get quite a few hits He's just got a solid stream of uh, of content that's that's constantly coming out. You know, constant readers, constant ad views. Whereas mm. with traditional games media, it, it kind of comes down to how popular the game that's being reviewed is. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons you see so many um, clickbaity kind of uh, flame stoking <laughs> headlines yeah. these days. You know, but it's fascinating to me if you look at um, you look at the difference between on YouTube. And I'm talking general attitudes here. And again, I'm not taking any stance on this myself. I'm just observing a general um, trend, right? That if you look at, say, the gaming press, the, the like the official gaming press or like articles, written stuff, it's all of um, the vast majority of it would be very kind of anti, like, oh, I hate that term anti-gamergate, but you know it's it's very much very much pro Anita Sarkeesian, and then but if you look at YouTube, the vast majority of videos are anti and like that kind of thing. And I, me, I fall somewhere in the middle, but I just think it's a fascinating thing to see that no matter that on these two different mediums, there's completely different outlook on things and completely clashing ID ideals about things the problem i have there is god that was hard to phrase without pissing think, anyone off <laughs> i think lots of i think lots of still reviewers did, and critics are very critical of sarkeesian mm-hmm. i also think it's a difficult subject to tackle because mm-hmm. i mean obviously we, we've talked about this before about how i have big problems with some of the things sarkeesian claims i think um, most most people, most people do, do just disagree yeah, you, with a lot of if what you voice says. those even in quite a, a reasonable way yeah. It's not that you get criticized from her kind of followers. I've never been criticized by any of them, even though I say some rather harsh things. It's yeah. that you get encouragement from the kind of people you don't want encouragement from. Yeah, that's... It's like, the closest analogy I can think, it's like telling jokes about Islam. And you can tell some... you can I can write some really funny material about Islam, but the people who are laughing at those are kind of not the people who I want reading my stuff. Yeah, like that's... I think that kind of ties in a lot back to some of the social media stuff we're talking earlier that it's like, it's, it's way too divisive. Like I, you know, I haven't like, like 
I think the issue is it, like it comes down to not wanting to engage or debate the topic. It's in, it's attacking or whatever the person behind it. Like yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm sure Sarkeesian, Anita Sarkeesian has said plenty of things that are both good and bad or or off. But the problem is that there's such a there's such like so few people who are willing or, or I wouldn't say willing, but there's so few people who actually attempt to engage her ideas in discussion and debate and critique versus just attacking her and I, being I, awful. I absolutely agree. You know, like how many people like, have seen that Thunderfoot? And, and that's like, uh, that's, and it's kind of weird because it kind of, it doesn't want to create an echo chamber, but it does create this thing. It's like, well, how come no one's being critical of Nita Sarkeesian when she says this? You know, how come the gays is doing it? doing, you know, A, B, or C. And it's like, well, that's because none of them are really find a problem with her discussion or debates or anything like that you know or they're they're they don't want to engage her or they don't want to critique her ideas or anything because the people who are more interested in spouting lies about her are going to enter the fray and that's not a conversation anyone wants to have you know like, i don't think i've seen any criticism of her stuff i've seen valid criticism of her work mm-hmm. but i don't think i've seen any that's completely free of like ad hominem yeah well that's that's um, overly the- aggressive like just anger i I think a lot of the ad hominem comes from the um comes from trying to associate a motivator to why she may be misrepresenting things is that a fair thing to say i would say yeah yeah i would definitely Uh, agree with that like i definitely think what's what's some of her biggest critics are more interested in attacking her as a person than they are discussing her ideas or what she's what she said in her videos and all that i think that's the issue is that they're (laughs) They're, they're trying to critique her as an like she's an outsider she's not one of us she doesn't know what she's talking about versus this idea doesn't make sense because of this particular you know facet or whatever of the game that she's talking about it's more of it's more of, like it kind of comes down i feel to like the, the, the division and how ever and like have to everyone has to be in a label and segregated into individual groups and there and yeah. you know you have to be with us or against us like i think it comes down to that kind of mindset again you know yeah yeah, and I think like I, I I just find like I'm I'm pretty much sixty forty with her most of the time with her opinions and her views and things. But um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. Sorry. Oh yeah, I I think a lot of the time she actually makes good points, but phrases them very clumsily. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and that's, the, that's, the, yeah. the big one that everyone was re- remembers is what she said about the the male toxicity about serial ki- or not serial killers, but the you know these dudes that go on gun rampages and yeah. stuff and she meant to say something else with that but everyone interpreted it in a wrong way and i think there is some level of responsibility you need to take when that many people misinterpret what you're saying you do need to be maybe more careful about how you phrase things and say things maybe in a more um with more clarity and more i'm like, gonna uh, disagree with you there gav i think she makes yeah. herself very very clear and speaks in the mildest most lukewarm way possible yeah and I, people still sometimes accidentally mm-hmm. sometimes deliberately misinterpret pretty much everything she says yeah like the mm-hmm. the one frustrating thing that's that's always annoyed me about this is that she i don't think she has ever ever said that the games that she's critiquing should have never been made or never be made ever again in the future and that's yeah, like the she has crux, never said that's that. like that's like a big yeah. key point of her argument is that these games like it's okay that these games exist, but it's also okay that we can talk about them in a greater light, and it's also okay that we don't always have these games be the only games that exist. Like, that's, like, the whole, she wants to destroy video games, like, none of that has ever come up in anything I've ever read by her or, or seen by her, and that's, like, 
mm-hmm. like really like she like that's like so frustrating is that these 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 critics of gaming as a whole don't want to destroy the medium. They wouldn't be involved in this medium the way they are if they were out to destroy it. Or yeah, I mean, like they wouldn't they, if they didn't care about it. You know, they, you they, know? they want, yeah, they want it to be better and greater and all that jazz. And it's like that's something I can get behind. You know, that's like if if they were pulling, if they were literally pulling Jack Thompsons and lobbying like actual laws to ban games, then yeah, I would be you know, against that, but, like, I'm not against someone who's like, let's have a discussion about the deeper meanings of these games and why they are the way they are. Like, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. To be, to be clear, I do disagree with a lot of her conclusions, and I think she has a very unfortunate habit of exaggerating um, mm-hmm. and interpreting some scenes in, like, the worst possible light. Yeah, the Hitman and one being the most I, notorious talked-about example. That's there. actually what gets yeah. me. I think she's she's very careful in how she phrases things, but she's not careful when it comes to small, apparently, you know, seemingly irrelevant factoids, but you've, she's got to remember that she is under scrutiny from millions of games yeah. who are very, very fixated on knowing your law, understanding, you know, the backstories... And every time she gets something like, that, like something like that wrong, she just gives them more and more ammunition to dismiss her argument mm. as a whole. And that's, that's the, also... state, the statement that really got me was the player cannot help but abuse these women. I was like, oh, sorry, what? <laughs> I've played these. <laughs> yeah. I've played all these games. Never once abused a woman in them, and I don't really. I think that's a kind of insulting, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well I, it's it's a yeah, in fact in Hitman you're, you're encouraged wrong. not to kill any of the yeah. the strippers but well, anyway I, I it's, you know it's, we're it's, we're saying stuff that's been said a million times all right so <laughs> now i'm curious do you guys ever think that metacritic will have ratings from youtubers instead of websites like if there's Absolutely. a total biscuit or a, yeah or i think if they story. start relying on review scores it's certainly a possibility but then yeah. again, well, it's, hopefully yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna adopt yeah, the they, review scores only yeah. the the kind of the most surface level critics tend to yeah and that's yeah. review scores but that's are, what sites kind of stick on you know the the sites always have the review scores like well that's less and less of them now though yeah well it's, it's because it's yeah. been it's because it's been a double-edged sword where some major publishers will not give you review copies or or even talk to you if you do not have review scores because of the way I, they conduct know, their business like they're only I, going I, to invest in franchises or give their teams bonuses if they hit a certain point which is like I, go ahead i don't i don't think metacritic actually will um start taking you because if you look at like who's the biggest games reviewer on youtube it's angry joe and he's been using scores for uh, a long time and they never include his stuff on metacritic yeah but you're gonna need they have more, like a list you need of, more like, of them they to do it. Consider the most then you again know? they did do they did use rev 3's um i never knew how to pronounce that I always thought it was Adam like Revolution Sassler's 3 cha- or something. Revolution 3 was in it. <laughs> I never knew how to pronounce it. I, I missed that channel, man. That was yeah, a good channel. Yeah, same here. But uh, they, used th- they used to put their scores on Metacritic, did they? I can't remember. Just to make things absolutely clear, fuck Metacritic. It's <laughs> ass. I, yeah, I definitely is, yeah. am not a fan of how Metacritic has become more... It's, mm. Or like, rather, fuck fuck the agency that people give Metacritic. Yeah, that's... It like I have no everything problem. that is wrong with modern reviews in one place. I have place. no problem with a website that collects all the reviews so you can see all the voices that be, uh, that are in play of, or are saying whatever about a particular product. I hate the way that people have... Or, or that companies are using that to guide their... Their, their business or whatever like well yeah the exactly. is like the way they scores, it's metacritic too. yeah you know the idea that you can apply a mathematical weight to a review score like 
even on the same website is fucking ridiculous. Like on the Escapist, we had multiple reviewers, and a, and a five from me made some meant something yeah. very different from yeah. a five from Jim or a five from Susan. The idea that those scores can be compared is ridiculous. The yeah. idea that you can compare scores between websites is fucking ludicrous. Yeah, the idea that you can apply some kind of fucking magical algebra and make it make sense <laughs> overall is, is is bollocks. Yeah, I mean, that was that was one of the biggest problems I always had, at least initially when I was first writing reviews, was like, wh- how do I quantify what I'm saying about the game into a five-point scale? Like... You know, Resident Evil Six, I think, is like the like a great example I've used for that because for me it was like the most average game I've ever played. Like it just, you know, I know you have different. You're wrong, Paul. Yeah, I know you You're have wrong. different thoughts on that. I wish Gabe was here to explain how wrong you were. Yeah, and well, hey man, <laughs> eleven out of ten. We should, do, we should do YouTube series on on good bad games and Resident Evil Six and be our our uh, forerunner. Um, but like for me, it was like it just tried too hard to be everything at once, and for me, that's why it came across very average, and that's why I gave it two and a half. But like people had conversations with me, like, "Are you sure it's two and a half? Like, are you sure it's not lower than that?" And it's like, well, for me, like an average mm. game is a two and a half. Like that's across the board. But for other com- other websites and other reviewers, even on the Escapists, like an average game was a three or a three and a half. You know, and it's like that's like one of the biggest confusing things is that there's like it's so hard. Like consistency is the word I think I'm looking for here. Like there's no. There's not going to be consistency among multiple reviewers and multiple voices reviewing the same thing. Well, that, and that brings up one of the biggest. To, yeah, it it brings up one of the biggest misinterpretations that the public has about games journalism sites. Like you, you'll always see on like GameSpot or IGN videos, um, the comments will be like, "Oh, I can't take you seriously anymore because you gave this game X and you gave the other game this score." And it's like, well, that was two different reviewers. Yeah. Who made oh like completely God. different things. <laughs> I don't think I've written a single review for The Escapist that hasn't got... Well, this is the site that gave Dragon Age 2 a Oh 10 my 10. goodness. <laughs> poor, Fuck poor you, Greg. Greg. Fuck you. Poor, he's never... Well, he is going to live that down now, I guess. Since he's kind of... No, it's it's going to be on his tombstone. Did Greg review yeah, Inquisition, be. actually? I am literally going to spray paint that on his tombstone. <laughs> okay, did Greg review Inquisition? Yeah, he no, did. he didn't. Did he? Oh, that's did. a pity. He did? Did really? Let me have a look. He should have, because that would have been mm. fucking hilarious. He should have gave it eleven mm. out of ten. Yeah, I I th- that was a joke we were all making like that entire year up. To, like every time there's a preview, and it's like, so how you feel? You know, oh, it's eleven out of ten. You know, twenty out of 15. it's a twenty out of three. There's a, there's a tweet here. I've just looked it up, and it's like, congratulations to Dragon Age for winning the Escapist Game of the Year, 2014. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, I like review scores. I like being able to. I like having to make that concrete statement. Mm. I just like to put it into perspective. One of the first games I reviewed was Gravity Rush for the uh, the Vita, and I adored it. It was utterly flawed, but I really, really adored it. I said it was like a really brave, interesting game trying to do something completely new, and then I gave mm. it a two out of uh, two point five out of five, which I thought was reasonable. Mm. And um, my review was by far the most positive one. Um, on Metacritic, but it tanked the game's fucking score. Yeah. Wow. Like, like that's again, like that's it. that's why I, I hate the way Metac- Like I don't like the way Metacritic like just aggregates all that stuff. Like I think like it shouldn't have. Oh, the average score for this is so and so number. It should be and like, again, hey, then- there are positive reviews and negative reviews, and here they are. Read them and figure it out for yourself. You know? And you again then get the thing that if it's a smaller game that maybe not so many sites reviewed. If one of those reviews is by someone who had a bad time with it, it's going to completely mm-hmm. tank their their score. 
or if they experienced a bug that no one else experienced or if they yeah. like didn't like the character or it's just yeah <laughs> it's it's a difficult situation oh it um, totally is but i think, I think the, the best path for, for games journalism right now to uh to kind of maybe reverse the course like the downhill course it's having is to get more reviewers um with distinct personalities and to really push those personalities yeah. push individual game reviewers that people can know and because you'll never you're never going to eliminate bias mm-hmm. all you can do is make sure that the readers are familiar with your biases and mm. they can filter them through that. Yeah, and it's, it's also, again, like, remind readers that reviews are subjective. There's no such thing yeah. as an objective review that actually says anything about the game. Like, there, there's a website that makes fun of purely objective reviews of video games, and it's literally a feature list. I love that website. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a good website. But it's like, you need to understand, like, people are going to have opinions on this game. You need to understand where they're coming from with their opinion. To be fair, I think Jim Sterling actually did that jo- that joke first when he did an uh, yeah. objective did. review of Final Fantasy XIII. I love that mm-hmm. video. Like he Which um, he's got such a deadpan voice when he wants to. It was fantastic. Mm. I think the five-point scoring system to me is a lot better than the the tens and the hundreds because like, there's why? a what, what possible difference does it make? Well, because hey. there's so much more um, wiggle room between between what each little star gives. I mean, like who the fuck can assign you if if I liked this four out of five is so much easier than I liked this eighty-seven percent. Yeah. That was yeah. that's been... the idea of there being any scientific accuracy to it is what is what's wrong. It's game yeah, is going. Why... Oh, you know, this game clearly isn't a fucking eighty-seven percent. It's an eighty-six point five. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that was a That's why I like a smaller scale is like a strong idea. Like that... yeah, well, exactly movies, the five-point scale. It's more. It's a lot more. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a lot. Open each each point in it is a lot broader than yeah. say in the ten-point scale, and yeah. it, it it's. I'm actually a lot more fond of letter grids. That's actually not that unreasonable. Like I think, and I think because the best thing it does is SS, it implies dude. there is a failing grade. Yeah, like there is a, there is a point where you're reviewing a game, and you're like, this is just dog shit. There's yeah. there's <laughs> there's no point in me explaining, like what to what degree this is dog shit. There is just like a minimum quality. Yeah, um, you're you're reviewing that game should reach, or... and this is below it. Yeah, Road to Hell Retribution or whatever. It's like yeah. no, this gets an F. This is not. <laughs> I wouldn't Kane even give them I would just like just unrate them. Just they're not worth the time it takes <laughs> to review them. It's the assignment you return to this too. Just like just do this again. Have it on my desk for the weekend. Speaking of um, reviewers giving up, have any, any of you seen that uh, Destructoid video on the fishing mini game in Nia? No, I don't think I have. No. Well, no. The guy was trying to catch a fish, and he just didn't. He didn't finish Nia. He couldn't review the game because he couldn't catch this fucking fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was just getting so so angry and he goes into this fantastic rant about how you shouldn't tolerate games that uh, that waste your time with fishing mini games. and then it turns out he was actually in, he was in the wrong area to fish oh no <laughs> of um, course oh, I mean that's, that's what it's gonna be well yeah. to be fair that's Which probably brings up the a game of, didn't communicate that very well yeah. to him yeah. With reviewers being yeah. bad at games, which is always a strange yeah. concept to try. Yeah, and, uh, and and like it's like you know, are you at that point? Is it like is it a developer's fault or is the viewer just not like putting the effort in? Because like I always you tried know, to play games as as much as I could and all the way through if I could for a review, but sometimes it was like I have no idea to do what I'm doing, and the developer is not telling me what I should be doing. You know, and it's like, you know what's <laughs> really. A- a, 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 a thing that I really that bugs me about a lot of reviews is they never ever mention technical stuff. 
they will go oh, on and on about agree. like story and and like and graphics and and all this good yeah it's this they, they never mention stuff like frame rate dips or like how it runs or i don't know why is that is it just i think it might depend on your reviewer that you're you're reading because for me like i never yeah. cared at least with my reviews and this is just me personally um mm. unless it was like major like it was, it was like a major factor of like the graphics or the technicalness of the game um I never really considered how much weight they had and how, what kind of review or what I said about the game. Because, like, unless, like, the graphics are really bad and it's really noticeable and it's attracting my entire experience from the game, like, who cares? Like, that's my opinion. Like, there, there are games out there that look absolutely horrible, but they're the most fun, enjoyable things that, like, someone's ever played. And there are games out there that look amazing, but they're complete pieces of crap, you know? So um, it's it's it's... It depends on your reviewer, I think, but like I think I think in, I think at this point maybe as because again like you know gaming has expanded, it's a lot more robust, there's a lot more people playing games. Like sometimes the focus is I think a little bit more on what content is actually in the game versus how pretty it looks. Mm. You know? I think which outlet you're working for does affect that too, because obviously I'm quite mm. a technical-minded gamer, mm. um, and quite often my reviews would contain like not super advanced technical breakdowns where I would mention frame rate, frame tearing, mm. um, like FOVs, that kind of stuff. And without fail, Susan would tend to pull a lot of that content. Mm. Um, and she just said like, no one, you know, we've looked at what people like to read and no one actually gives a shit. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I mean, disclaimer, I, disclaimer, another friend of mine, but if you look at Total Biscuits channel, every single, he doesn't do reviews as such, but in most of his videos, I mean, it's primarily a PC channel. Um, he will go in and spend 10 minutes going through the option, the graphics options menus and showing you how it runs with different settings and he, look at the views he gets. I absolutely agree. But yeah. I also think he's not a critic. Yeah, no, he's not a critic. He is. He, he does feature lists. Well, well yeah. He, he, to be fair, like that's not that's not meant to... But he like, says that himself. He says this yeah, isn't uh, a review. That's not a diss. Yeah. That's just what he does. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it he is says it's valuable. not a review. It's a first impressions. Like, And I think with written reviews... Um, tech stuff is kind of a lot more difficult to get across without it being too dry and just yeah. like boring as shit. Yeah, like that's. Yeah. that's I mean, so that's yeah, of course, that stuff is is much easier to show in a YouTube video. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's Precisely. difference between text content, and video content. But I will add, I am getting incredibly sick of reviewers letting huge technical issues pass through reviews. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Like fucking the Darkness Two on PC, and none of the reviews mentioned the FOV is so incredibly tight. Yeah. That people, I, I mean, I felt sick. And I'm usually, I'm not that um, susceptible to it, uh-huh. but I just couldn't play the game till it was patched because the FOV was so tight. Yeah. Well, for me, I like, I, like with, the, um, were you were you reading PC reviews of it? Because I reviewed it on the 360, and like, I'm one of those people that FOV doesn't really affect me that much, and so like, I was on the console for that. You know, like, the, were the PC reviews not mentioning the FOV or? Well, I think the problem was we didn't we don't get PC reviews. That days. is that is true. That mm. sometimes true. like the review copies sent out don't always. <laughs> and an FOV does tend to be specifically a PC problem. Yeah. Mm. It's funny though because so many. Um, I think in any any game that has head bob has to by default have an option to turn the damn fucking head bob off. <laughs> like, 
it just makes me so nauseous when games have head bob. I remember having it in Fear 2 on, on the console. And I remember getting it last year with Wolfenstein. I had to go into the INI file and tweak that to turn off the head bob. You turn off head bob in Wolfenstein, you fucking Philistine. <laughs> it's like, it's what the original game, like in the original game, Dude, he like sways all over you, the place. One, one hour into the game, I was ready to puke and I, I, and I had a headache. I had to turn it off. You, you've got to get one of those like bouncy city balls and like just mimic the movement. <laughs> just like yeah. bouncing back and forth. With a them. bungee ball. Yeah, I don't some, know how get people get some VR do. going. Get an Oculus Rift and then it'll just. But fear, fear two felt like you were tripping over your shoelaces the whole game. But actually, if any, if any reviews, sorry, if any game developers are watching this, please, for the love of God, let us turn shit off. That is yeah. that is definitely I would say a like a fucking motion yeah. blur. Um, those crazy color shaders you put on everything. Um, chromatic aberration, fucking. Yeah. What else do they love to do? The HUD. Like, Jesus Christ, HUD, give us, us give us, give us a hotkey to just turn the HUD off, especially if Way you make points. pretty, pretty games. Yeah, that's definitely a usability thing right there. Because that stuff shouldn't mm. be that hard to program in. It's like an extra feature, you know. Because mm. yeah. they, yeah. they have that and, stuff. Yeah, and you know what? It's good. Sure. It's good for your game because people are going to share good-looking screenshots of it on on Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of my on favorite. Neogaf, there are literally thousand. Uh, post long threads there, there's a there's a website beautifying I, PC games and then taking screenshots yeah there's a website yeah. I think called dead end thrills um, oh he's oh, he's amazing they have yeah, like fantastic. 4k or higher great pictures of games and it's like yeah. like really artistic and really great wallpaper stuff and it's like some of them you know it's like obviously they went in and they used whatever mod tools the dev left in for players to mess mm -hmm. around with to like remove the HUD or whatever and they just look amazing mm -hmm. Oh, they're incredible! Yeah, they're they're beautiful pictures. Oh, very much so. His his Deus Ex ones. Oh my goodness, they're Although gorgeous. They really, yeah. My my favorite was the uh, Secret World because e even though I didn't really think that game was that special, like it definitely has some really great visual moments. Yeah. If you um if you turn off the waypoints in that game, it's actually amazing. Uh, the Secret World. Yeah, the, the the whole game is designed so that you can play it without waypoints. Like you were supposed to figure out where to go based uh. on like using the map and using the uh, telephone directory and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then at the last minute, they clearly added this like terrible Warcraft um, oh, navigation yeah. system that just turns into walking towards GPS signals. Yeah, that might have been like oh, a usability a... thing they snuck in the end. It's like, oh, what if our players get lost? And it's like, well... What they've... a disappointing game that was. <laughs> Great they've, universe, they've just very ho-hum. <laughs> they've enslaved up as their latest game on uh, Dead End Thrills. I'm just looking at it there now. Yeah, That was an absolutely gorgeous game. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, uh, let's see. Here's one for you. The game critics are most wrong about. <laughs> That's the game a tough the critics one. are most wrong about? Because for me, I... it's got to be Resident Evil GTA. 6. Oh, we're talking GTA about 4. specific games. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I GTA was like, well, like, different concepts, and I'm like, wait a second. Um, Controversial one, Gone Home. I would say that... Mm, um, I, I, I think a lot of people agree with you on that one, Greg. I will reserve judgment I think I actually play that game. I have, I, but, it's been on my yeah. wish list on Steam forever, or, and I've just yet the, to play it. I mean, this ties into what we were talking about earlier with the length of game versus price, but that game mm. is legitimately about an hour, an hour and a half long. It's very, very simple, and it costs $20. Yeah, and the price of that game is I couldn't in my... Like, I think I paid 5 for it during a sale, and I still felt kind of burned. And as interesting as I thought the narrative was, and as much as I love environmental storytelling, and as much as I kind of sympathized with the characters, I just couldn't in good conscience recommend, conscience recommend that to people at that price. Mm 
Mm. Hello, Don. And that's, you know, that's the most fair <laughs> criticism I've ever heard of Gone Home. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, no. Also, I, also, I Gone Home has a bunch of gay characters, and that's totally oh. gay, and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> fair I, 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 I love that game, it. but I agree with you, it was overpriced. But, um, so you you said GTA 4, which I agree was... I cannot fathom how the highest rated game ever on Metacritic is a game that A, the cover system doesn't work, B, has no <laughs> fucking mission checkpoints, and in, insanely frequent ways to kill you unexpectedly and cheaply due to terrible AI and stuff, and every time it happens you have to drive across the entire goddamn city again, <laughs> and none of the reviews mention this. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> that is a flaw that if it came out in a game now, there would be oh, so much rage over it. But it's at such the same a time, huge fundamental. So yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's it's a game I loved, but it had some huge flaws that no one seemed to uh to point out. I'm trying, so, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think. <laughs> We've mostly gone with yeah, overrated yeah. here, which is a, which is an easy one. I think underrated is a underrated. Resident Evil mm. says. <laughs> yeah. Well, my my sin of game reviewing is Fuse, because I, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than other people seem to. I never got so, around to it. Uh, for, I was really looking forward to it because well, it's Insomniac, right? Yeah, it's Insomniac, and like I, I for me, like a lot of the, a lot of the criticism was that it felt very by the numbers third person shooter. You know, very focused, tested. Like it was a. They tried to go for something too serious as compared to like their initial like preview trailer where it was kind of like more actiony adventure with like lightheartedness. But for me, like this is the gameplay just felt cats. really Jesus. Ah, the cats. <laughs> the gameplay for me just felt like really enjoyable and I had a lot of fun with it. And like I did hate parts of the story where they like couldn't decide if they wanted to be serious or funny. But like overall I just felt like it was a really, you know, decent third person shooter. Um, do you think it would have done better if they hadn't fucked with the art style? I do think the art style wasn't the problem. I do think it was the story. And, like, I think what they should have done is that they should have had all the characters be a lot more jokey and sarcastic with each other instead of, like, serious super agents. And then, like, go from there. Like, kind of lampoon the whole, you know, secret agent thing. Because, like, the gameplay I felt was fine. There's a lot of really cool things. The whole, you know, using your high-tech gear... You know, to like help with teammates, and the AI was pretty good. Like you could do a lot of cool things if you were only playing by yourself. Um, with just the like hopping back between you know the different the characters and like comboing stuff up. But like the story, I think was the biggest thing that was just kind of like, eh, it's 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 decent enough to keep you along, but it's or keep you going, but it's not it's not like really that groundbreaking. You know, to kind of like make you go like, oh, this is a really awesome story. You know. I do think Insomniac Insomniac suffered from a bad case of the Grimdarks last gen. Yeah, I think that definitely um, happened. With uh, And they pissed away a lot of the goodwill they earned with Ratchet and Clank um, by making Resistance, which I think was one of those... Ge you know how towards the beginning of the PS3's lifespan, like any first-person shooter, like no matter how mediocre, did okay? Yeah. Because... Yeah. They didn't have a Halo, so everything was going to be the next Halo killer. Yeah. Well, you just and you needed one. Like that's so easy to play a first-person shooter. So I like, think. like Killzone Two was awful, but everyone's like, "Oh, hey, it's a it's a Halo killer." I I honestly hate the phrase like game killer because like for me that's like setting yourself up for failure. Like anytime I heard an MMO describe be described the in wow any way, killer. shape, or form as a WoW oh, killer, yeah. I'm like, "Well, it's gonna <laughs> fail." Because WoW is WoW. Don't try to be better than WoW. Be your own thing, and then that's how you that's how you succeed. I kind of miss it. I miss <laughs> that um, 
it's one of those kind of almost like 90s terms that's that's hung on like there's always going to be the mario killer and the sonic killer and i do kind of miss that uh, that exaggeration i i can think of a game that i think is really underrated i'm not sure if it was underrated by critics but just underappreciated in general which was bullet storm <laughs> i fucking that I love like that game. i actually do like agree. To... I think the um, story it, was bad, which didn't help. But uh, Yeah, it was so ridiculously fun. And it did so many new things in fun ways that hadn't been done before and I'm, that I'm amazed nobody ripped off. Mm. Like kicking a dude into a cactus and like putting a bomb thing around him and kicking him into his buddies. How is that not in more video games? <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, the, closest the combo thing, system was really The closest good thing fun. I can think of that is, is like Far Cry 3 and 4, but I don't think mm. it was as fast-paced or combo-driven. It, Actually, it, was a it game wasn't as intera- interactive in Far Cry either. Yeah. You, it was like an automatic takedown where you would put the, the grenade in his pocket. But in Bulletstorm, you had to do all this stuff yourself. Yeah. And it, when you pulled it off, it felt so good. There was a game that preceded it and actually did the same thing with a combo system called uh, The Club, if anyone remembers that. I'm trying to think. Was that a racing no. game? No, it was... Uh, a, well, kind of. It was very strange. It was a third-person shooter. Except you did laps around a course, um, like collecting tokens and shooting people, and you had to keep a combo going throughout. And uh, apparently, no one's fucking heard of it except me. <laughs> no. Well, I'm looking it up I've now. I've heard of it, but it looks like yeah. it was so underrated. It was so good. Well, it looks like it was uh, Sega 2008. Is what I'm seeing yep. here. One one game I think is underappreciated now. Like I think it scored fairly well at the time, but the the first Assassin's Creed. I think a lot of people look back on it as like one of the worst ones in the series. Like it was, I think it the, was by far series, my least favorite one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't like it, but I thought it, it created the world so well, and it had such a good feel of like being an assassin. And it was, it was like not like the modern ones where it's like really easy to do combat. Like it was the no least gamey, I think, of the series. It was very focused, yeah. and it had a very specific aim in mind and everything was tailored just to that and i just found the game had too too many annoying restrictions like yeah, not well, being like able the, to walk going... through the bloody city well, that, at I mean, a certain that was, speed trying to be that was ridiculous yeah yeah it was trying to be authentic and i really liked that honestly like, oh, a speeding was... a speed limit for your horse is authentic <laughs> really <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're not supposed to run your horse to the city like you're gonna but no it wasn't when, when you were when kid. you were out on the country roads if if you were like galloping you would like get guards chasing you oh, I, I thought the, the the restriction the restrictive nature of that game drove me crazy no i it put me it immersed me i would say the only problem mm. is obviously going back and like not being able to skip the cutscenes. It's, yeah, that's that's definitely a sin of game development. Is yeah, unskippable cutscenes because like at that point it's like, no, that's that's a usability thing again, you know. Okay, here's one. Um, could be a controversial one. Underrated, Bionic Commando. Oh, you fucking tool! <laughs> I don't actually know. Tell us how you really it's feel, Gordon. It's so good. It, it. Okay, the the story was considering it was built off like a goofy SNES game. The story of his like wife being his bionic arm. Yeah, like, I hella, don't hella know stupid. what's going on there. Like, but what? that game played like you know Spider Man Two for the I think it was the GameCube. It was like the exact same system, and it's amazing. You're like swinging around, shooting people with shotguns, and it was it was like really really good in that regard. Wasn't it buggy though? I feel like I heard no, that it wasn't buggy. It. it had some fucking genius on the development team. 
decided to have like if you went above a certain threshold like a certain height you would go into a toxic area that would kill you in like seconds yeah and it was possible to like swing and swing too far up and just like hurl yourself into the air and you would just die before you could get back down wow (laughs) and it was such a bad decision it just completely undermined the rest of the game but i think overall it was it was like criminally underrated speaking of underrated underrated game i'm trying to think it's... Legend of Korra recently by uh, IGN. Yeah, yeah like, how was that? Like I, I was it, for me like the platinum, platinum is like games. amazing. Like Bayonetta was like is like one of my all time favorite games ever. Like I'm not really a, a person who plays the fighter genre, but Bayonetta mm. looked so insane that when I picked it up, like I just had to pick it up, and then it was like the coolest thing ever. Like I was like breaking my hands trying to pull off the combos. Uh, Korra was cheap and nasty. Like it was hella fucking cheap. It did look it. like, and um, I think uh, they're by, doing a lot right now. By like child's video game uh, tie-ins, it was uh, like really, really good. The problem was, it's like who who is it aimed at? It's uh, like it's Legend of Korra license, so obviously you're gonna try and get some kids in it, but it's hard as fucking balls. Yeah. <laughs> um, Legend of Korra fans are in that for the story, yet the story was like the most weird, spliced together from audio clips from the show. Like oh, phoned in bullshit. That's, that's horrible. Like seriously, that's, shoestring budget. That is horrible um, when games do that. Like yeah. the only people it would appeal to are fucking platinum fans, and this it launched like a week before Bayonetta two. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of Bayonetta, and speaking of uh, going back to the whole social media thing, have you seen the uh, Twitter account of the original creator of PG? Um, what's his name? Cameo. Yeah. Cameo. Yeah, Cameo. <laughs> Yes, he yes, is I unbelievable. Do he does nothing but insult fans all day long. And for some <laughs> reason, nobody gets mad with him about it because he's just such a rock star. <laughs> he just, My, uh, his entire Twitter feed is insulting fans. <laughs> did you ever see that um, that interaction he had with uh, Shreya from Kotaku? No. Oh my God, yeah, I have to see Someone asked him a question and um, I forgot what it was now. So they were mad at him about something. Uh, yeah. They asked him a question, and he said, "Just, he just his response was just, do you eat shit?'" <laughs> <laughs> that's, Someone that's asked him man, once. That's a man who has too much stuff on his plate for internet bullshit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Someone, someone asked him once, "How does it feel to like sell your soul to Nintendo?" And he said, "How does your mother feel that her son is a massive disappointment?" <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I love that guy. Like, like I said, like, like he has—he's such a rock star. Yeah, he has—he has no time for bullshit. Like he's, you know, it's like he probably saw that. It's like, dude, I'm trying to get a game done. I don't have time for this crap. Oof! So I think we've kind of worked our way through to the end here. Yeah. This went surprisingly well. I was expecting without Gabe, we'd kind of stutter and. Uh, no, I would think we all still talked all over each other as usual. Yeah. <laughs> and talked over Corey again. Sorry, Corey. <laughs> Well, Sorry. no, it's good. Apparently, Corey's microphone's terrible and he breathes too much. Oh, okay. I do what I can, but afford a new mic is not one thing I can do. It's a good job we're running a Patreon, guys. We're running a Patreon. Well, I, do- I donated to your Patreon, so I now own you. Are we doing so. plugs? Can I plug my website, paulthegoodman.com? I'm looking for video editing work. Hire me, please. Mm. Yeah, and he's done a couple of my videos, which are awesome. Yeah, they so were so much support, fun to support, do. Paul. I love doing videos yeah. for Gavin. There's so much even fun. better if you mute them and watch them without sound. <laughs> yeah, I will say oh. yes. I will take the risk and say yes. <laughs> I will actually link to uh, some of your montage videos because they were really sweet. Mm, they're very he's cool. He's good at what he does, guys. 
I like to think put I it am. With, put it with my bullshit for like two years. <laughs> From experience, it's actually impossible to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for watching, guys. Uh, tune in next week where hopefully Gabe will have returned and we'll talk about Metal Gear some more. Awesome. Well, thanks for having Bye. me, guys. This was a lot of fun. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right. <laughs>